Project A Podcast. Welcome everybody to a new episode of the Project A Podcast. My name is David Kübler and I head revenue operations at Project A. And with me today I have a super special guest. I have Alicia Arts, who is the head of sales operations at Zenda. And we actually met at a PACON and had a general talk about revenue operations. And I thought it was super interesting. And that's why I wanted to definitely get her back on so we could talk about more how can operatives and let that be sales, let it be marketing, let it be customer success. How can these people who are busy firefighting and, and doing all the administrative tasks, how can they leverage their insights to get a seat uh, on the table? And how can they talk about, you know, the stuff that really matters, the, the revenue and the revenue streams uh, with the org and with the management? So without further ado, I'd like to hand over to Alicia Arts. Please tell us a little bit something about you. And again, thanks so much for coming to the podcast. Hello, everyone. Um, indeed, uh, you already mentioned um, that currently I work at Sender. Um, in the past 14 years, I've been um, running sales ops teams um, in a different companies and also different industries. Um, the job itself, of course, evolved a little bit over the years. And also every company looks at the sales ops and revenue ops in a different perspective. Um, so yeah, glad to give you a little um, uh, experience, tips from um, from my own uh, um, professional life. Awesome, and, and, and I want to really want to stress that it was it was so important for me to to have you on, and I really want to to kind of like deep dive into this conversation because I think it's there. There's a lot of uh, CROs that, that have kind of developed that they've come from different positions. And, and, you know, and they're great at what they do. And it's, it's awesome that, that we have some of these people out there that, that are telling us about how, how to manage our revenue. But I think that the people that are actually putting in the work, that are really, you know, they're really sitting down and that they're doing this, that their perspective is super interesting because they actually have to go through these things, right? Like, like you said, you know, like this, this job, revenue operations is, is, is so fresh. It's, it's, you know, it's very fresh off the boat. And, and before that, we've had, you know, customer, um, opera uh, sorry, customer operations, sales operations, marketing operations. And I think that it, it's really hard for revenue operations people these days because we, we often are blamed with kind of like maybe just being sales ops or just being marketing ops. But I think the truth is that it's such a new position that we're all trying to like get into this and, and, and do it well. And, and yeah, and that's why I really wanted to, to kind of talk to you about it because you've been doing this for such a long time. Um, so maybe you can tell me a little bit about the journey, like how you kind of where you started and then how you got into operations and what part of it and maybe how, how that developed and to kind of where you are now. Sure. Um, for me, it started actually in sales. Um, I think as you uh, finish your school, you've done maybe several internships, uh, you're not sure exactly yet uh, which way you want to go. Um, during um, um, your master in business administration, you touch a little bit of everything, communication, marketing, um, logistics, such as Incoterms, I still remember that. <laughs> um, and, and I think that, you know, First of all, I think my personality was always matching um, more the, the sales job. Um, but obviously, uh, business um, is very large. So um, I started in sales, and I still think that it's a very good school. Um, and so interestingly, also, I started in a very big corporation um, at IBM. Um, very quickly, I was moved to the central teams um, because... 
um, someone uh, discovered uh, in me analytical skills. I was very surprised to hear that. And I always thought that um, analytics, it's always something with finance and numbers. And I even asked them twice, are you sure uh, that I should really <laughs> do this job? And they said, no, really. Um, plus, it's a great uh, learning. Um, so, And I really think that I could advise that to everyone. Um, I think today uh, you need analytical skills in every job. You need it in sales um, to identify pain points and um, really see whether there is a customer fit for whatever solution or product that you're selling. Um, you need it in a customer care. Um, you need it, obviously, in any sort of uh, business uh, uh, analysis, uh, not per se only working on the data. Um, so really, it's, again, a fundamentals that I would recommend for everyone. And then very quickly, I also made a move and I got promoted to be a sales ops manager um, quite quickly. Back then, um, when IBM sold um, the hardware division to Lenovo, I went over with that uh, spinoff um, and worked in a different teams, different um, regions. And then when I changed companies across different industries, also... Um, I've seen a little how uh, people and companies apply sales ops in general. Sometimes it's more um, towards the pricing strategy. Sometimes it's more purely operations. Um, so, so you really balance between the strategy and the tactical approach. Um, sometimes it's also a very catch-all department uh, because you also do enablement and people address you with all sort of questions when there is no clear owner. Um, sales ops always work very closely with uh, marketing. So that is the portion of um, measuring impacts of our campaigns and therefore becoming that marketing operation part. But also... Um, till very end, the conversion uh, to the revenue and cash collection. And this is the link towards the customer experience, customer mm -hmm. um, success teams. Um, also, in my uh, career, I had to take on a brand new role and create a whole department, build my team. Um, for me, that was the most fun challenge because it offers a lot of flexibility, but I think you need to be very confident uh, in what you're doing. Um, often uh, decision makers and the hiring managers for this role, they don't want to be bothered. They want someone who will build everything. Um, so you need to have ideas. You need to have a lot of initiative, obviously experience um, that you gained maybe in different departments. But the good thing is that while there is a lot of to do, they tend to really rely on those recommendations, A, because themselves they are not experts, or B, because they just don't want to be bothered. So they are happy that someone else is building mm -hmm. um, a plan. Um, you can just submit that plan um, for sign-off approval and you can start rolling out. And this is something that I personally really uh, enjoy, uh, building from scratch rather than being told this is the frame, you just need to fill it and uh, do this uh, every day and work on those little details. Um, so yeah, that's that's more a little bit how uh, I, I got into sales ops. 
Awesome. Okay, and actually, I would love to 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 step back on one of those, those points you mentioned because um, let let's imagine this is someone who who you know wants to have a seat at the table. Maybe for someone who even like this episode in general. Maybe someone who's even kind of just getting into sales ops or or revenue ops or, or marketing ops or customer sales ops or whatever. Um, what do you when when you say like because you mentioned a little bit of analytical and you you know clearly build these teams. What what kind of what do you look for? in someone who who wants to get and, and how do you maybe do you have like an own framework of you know that you can judge someone like yeah this person will probably make it this person probably needs to work a little bit more on this and that before you jump into this role do you have any tips for someone like that yes i my um uh, hiring process is very much um i would say i don't want to say gut feeling based because that's not uh that, that can be sometimes um, a little confusing and not always uh, reliable, but I always go for potential in people because there are so many um, things that you can learn. Um, so I don't look at specific experience. I don't look at um, a certain skills. You know, even if, for example, working with a CRM um, is very helpful, this is something you can learn on the job. Mm. The the overall skills, such as, for example, you know, um, being a good stakeholder, um, manage stakeholders, um, uh, being um, someone who learns fast and who is just able to connect the dots, who has that logic, um, who knows how to break down complex problem into smaller pieces and one by one tackle them, build a plan, uh, create and suggest a proposal that you can just review with them. Uh, this is really what I'm looking for. So it's a potential based on uh, personal skills and um, a very strong motivation and uh, enthusiasm to actually learn. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And um, do, would you like, so, so I, I would generally, I mean, you know, t tell me what you think about this, but I would generally say that like right now the trend is you, you get into some sort of operational role and then from there, most people go into RevOps. I think it's very few people that just straight up jump into RevOps. I mean, I've, I've, I've actually very recently gotten to know a super cool dude who went from working in finance and being like a finance manager to, to RevOps. But would you generally suggest that someone who, for example, does custom success operations that they beforehand do like the actual execution of customer success or do you think that someone like that should like a salesperson should a sales ops person should they first do sales before they get into sales ops i would say you should do as many different roles uh, as possible not necessarily for five or ten years but i think sales is a great place to start. Uh, it's great also to get some exposure to um, more um, analytical role. It's great to have a brief experience uh, with customer experience uh, teams. So I would say it's the variety of experience that makes the package and that gives you this global picture and perspective where you really can connect different points. Um, and with time and experience, you get a step back to be more strategic. Because for me, the danger of starting in an admin or more operational role is that, A, you might get stuck because those roles are very often um, busy. It's always fire drill. There is a lot to do. And there is no time to show your strategic thinking skills. And very mm. often you can get labeled with someone who can only do the operational stuff, not the strategy. 
Um, so if after 10 years of doing only operations, you're not lucky that your manager or some other sponsor in the company sees the potential in you, it's very comfortable to just label people and then bring the external ones who already have been in those kind of strategic positions. Um, so like I said, uh, I wouldn't personally advise that this is the the, 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 the right uh, way to go. On the contrary, I would be capitalizing different experiences. And then when the right time comes, when you meet someone or when you see the opportunity, I would sell it as a package of absolutely diversified portfolio of skills. Wow, I think that's, that's a, actually really great tip. You're kind of making me think my career right now. Um, <laughs> but awesome. Okay, thanks so much. Um, and maybe one step back more in, in, in your personal history. So again, what, what I really love is how you were able to really like leverage your skills to, to get where you are. And I'd love to, to kind of hear like, you know, what exactly what exactly are the levers, right? So like, wh what did you do or, or how did you prove to some of these people that you can do these jobs or that you, that, you know, that you, yeah, like how, how did you do that? So in my experience, that was, I would say, mostly based on personality because I am very comfortable with taking things rather than waiting for uh, empowerment. Um, you know, so I would say you shouldn't be shy. You shouldn't wait until the opportunity presents. Um, and also, obviously, there is the uh, factor of uh, not really luck, but timing is really everything. Timing in life is is the secret potion to when your company that you just started will, whether it will succeed or not. Whether you meet the love of your life uh, 10 years ago, maybe it was not the right time. You would meet the same person in the moment when you're ready for a commitment and you're going to spend together 50 years and have three lovely children. Um, timing is key. Um, so I would say... Uh, Definitely, I didn't wait for someone to tell me to do something. I was always uh, this little over-enthusiastic kid who had plenty of ideas and was just annoyingly throwing them at people. And luckily, <laughs> and luckily, I I found uh, you know a few very good managers who were um, glad to hear those ideas out. Um, it resonated with them. Um, they followed me on some of those suggestions and then little by little you build your reputation you build your uh, position in a company and you make those little steps um i know we should be telling people hard work will get you far uh, stay in school uh, just work hard it's not true it's a combination of of indeed being in the right place in the right time meeting the right people having always energy never giving up one day this will pay off Awesome. Uh, that was okay. Yes. Um, all right. Let, let's shift a little bit um, because so, so you know, kind of towards that whole having a seat at the table, we first kind of establish a few things. I think one of those things is that um, that RevOps, in my opinion, you know, let me know what you know, what you think is, is on the rise in Europe. So I think in, in the States, this has been like a, a discipline that's been practiced for like, let's say, you know, three, four, five years. I mean, there's 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 books in, in, in the early like dot-com boom where people have already kind of like doing RevOps, but we just didn't label it like that yet. And I feel like a lot of a lot of times in the past when when different operational people sat together and thought about how they could, you know, maybe uh, look at the funnel end to end, 
they were also doing rebels. They just didn't call it that. But I feel like I'm pretty comfortable saying that nowadays, you know, like uh, uh, German founders or or uh, uh, like more like Spanish or Italian founders, that they or Nordic, that they come to me like, hey, what is RevOps? How does this work? What do you need for this? You know, what kind of histories do people have that that, that do this job? Um, yeah, like, what's your opinion there? Like, how how do you feel that like do you feel that RevOps has come has come to Europe? Are we are we at a point where we can comfortably say that? Yes, I completely agree. Um, just very uh, transparently uh, uh, saying that I, for example, see so many job offers on the market in Europe these days, mm. while three years ago, I haven't even noticed any. Um, so there is definitely a, a peak in this trend. I think it's very good. It's also very, you know, when you're a, um, a startup, it is better to start with the RevOps because you have centralized that um, data-driven decision-making. Um, otherwise, if you start with having a dedicated sales ops and maybe later you add someone for marketing and then someone dedicated um, for the customer success, uh, as you scale up, those departments, they might grow out of proportion and they can go faster than your infrastructure. And then soon it becomes a challenge to actually capture everything under one person. You need to do some restructuring, reorg. These are never fun things from personal perspective. You know, there are emotions, obviously, um, but it just also becomes a very tricky exercise. So I personally think that a company that it's scaling fast or has an ambition of scaling up uh, real fast, um, they should actually take that, it's not even a risk, but take that leap um, and probably even go with the, with the RevOps lead and give um, them uh, an opportunity to build that whole department. And I personally am a fan of centralized RevOps um, with a dotted line um, to to different um, departments rather mm -hmm. than having indeed a dedicated um, um, a dedicated resource um, separately. Yes. Okay. I mean, uh, can we can we actually dive into that real quick? So, how would so let's let you know? I mean, we, we, a little bit of topic, but I, I love this. I love this conversation. So, how how would you structure like a, a RevOps org maybe in like the beginning of a startup? You know, like. Maybe after like their after their Series A, maybe I mean I think I'm not sure. Do, would you say that like you'd need RevOps already after kind of like being seated, and then and then how would that look different once we get into like a more established uh, established commercial org? So see again, this is question of timing. <laughs> to make my point again, I think Series A might be a little bit too early because when you hire a RevOps uh, leader too early, it's theoretical. They're working on concepts and there is no, um, yeah, there is so many other burning priorities that they really don't get the um, um, the buy-ins where it's needed. There is not mm. enough. I think series, B's, uh, series B becomes really interesting um, and this is probably the right time. Um, now, if you hire them too late, you're facing what I just described yeah, before yeah. and the, the growth is going way too fast and you're dragging behind trying to catch everyone, trying to align the data. No one knows what's happening. Everyone has a, a siloed metrics. So again, really timing is uh, is key in this place. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Great. Thanks for that. So maybe maybe one step back to the to the whole you know RevOps is, is here now. Um. So I have this theory, right? That that a lot of that a lot of this the fact that RevOps is now so so accepted has to do with the downturn, 
Um, so I, I just, I just, yeah, hear me out. So I feel like that because we now look way more at like survivability of a company and like, you know, can they, can they, can they basically iterate on small steps of growth versus just like throw on bodies with, with, with a lot of money and then see how, how it explodes. I feel like the, kind of the answer to this that a lot of founders have like found somewhere or like, or in during LinkedIn or something is like, oh yeah, RevOps, you know, RevOps helps to create efficiency. Um, so do you think that's a good thing for RevOps? Like, should, do you feel like this might kind of change the way that we do RevOps here in, in, in a negative way? Or do you feel like, you know, no, no matter kind of like, kind of like how Tony would say, you know, take, uh, take, take a hold of the fact that it's like a bad thing and, and then try and, and try and make the best of it? Yes, I, I actually, so everything depends on the real intention behind it. Um, so if you talk to a CEO who is planning on, um, or COO, depends who is really the hiring manager, who mm -hmm. is planning on introducing such a RevOps function, um, we probably should ask for the real intention behind. Is it just because they think it's a magical solution that will solve problems, save money, um, you know, help with, uh, with cutting the cost? Um, or are they really open to, um, to create, um, it's a replacement structure that it's supposed to align the teams and prevent from a need for hiring more because sometimes in the recession, we unfortunately need to then uh, cut back. And uh, that's also a very unfortunate process. Um, on the other hand, uh, RevOps is not really around tools. So I agree with you that it's, it's also... Um, a balance between uh, finding the efficiency in um, moderate use of technology, but also with the optimal amount of headcounts. And if that person is able to have that picture um, more, again, on a strategic level, uh, that's what should be helpful in this situation. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I see that. Okay, so let, then, then let's say, all right, we, we say we agree. Uh, RevOps has arrived. Now, a little bit, a little bit more uh, in a nerdy about it, though. I feel like again, hypothesis that uh, actually sales tech or, or even you know, customer success tech as well. I think marketing tech has actually arrived. Like Martech has arrived a long time ago. Um, but, but sales tech and especially customer success tech, which I think will be a huge topic next year. I think that's also more or less really arrived lately because. I just, I remember how difficult it used to be to explain someone to like, please, please, please pay $99 per seat for outreach so that your reps can actually work and not have to dial every single phone call themselves. Um, and I'm starting to have like, put, I used to have so much pushback on this stuff. And I feel like lately it's been a lot more calm. I think a lot of sales leaders have kind of worked in a place now or, or, or before where the sales tech has made an impact that is so big that it really like they really understand now why they have to do it um yeah would, would you agree to that uh, that's true uh, but i'm a little bit uh, laughing when you say that because i'm probably the most skeptical person around technology even more than the decision makers <laughs> uh, and that's just because i'm very demanding and you know it's a nightmare to have a demo with me uh, <laughs> I even I because I ask so many questions and I challenge and I'm not impressed uh, <laughs> and and I always try to bring it back to you know price versus value. Mm. Uh, last time I even had someone who says, um, "Could we talk straight to the decision maker?" <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the gatekeeper, so 
have to convince me first. <laughs> um, so I think like technology, absolutely, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a must um, if you really want to scale up um, and, you know, uh, become a big player in the market that's that's absolutely needed and of course if you have this constraint of maybe not um growing in terms of headcounts um that tripling or quadrupling but i feel that there is still a lot of hesitation i mean it's the same as has been always there the the budget right there is never enough money uh <laughs> yeah. for for everything um sometimes technology is uh, perceived as fancy tools accessories that add some value but that is not a game changer uh and i think there is also um maybe some bad experience from the past because mm -hmm. solutions back in the days they had a horribly long and difficult implementation time um, that was resulting in long um, downtime um, of activities in the company um, usually there are also strings attached such as we actually need an administrator. Oh, we didn't budget for that. And now this tool has been there. We pay for it, but no one is using because no one has those skills, you know? Um, and no one told us that when they were pitching the solution. Um, or maybe there is additional service needed to develop certain cadence. Uh, or, by the way, we don't have time for this now. It be it's priority for next quarter. And then uh -huh. before you know, the year has uh, uh, passed. And yeah, this tool was just there but really didn't uh, bring any value so i am very pragmatic when it comes to technology um the roi needs to be solid um it should be a very fast uh, return on investment uh, it shouldn't be too complicated and i think that sometimes people might be a little bit too optimistic um jumping already to the conclusions of what can we gain um but there is a moment where it disrupts the, um, the the current way of work. And, you know, measurement for the sake of measurement or for the reporting makes no sense um, if it's indeed at the cost of um, effectiveness. Because as we train people, as we try to do the implementation, someone still needs to be selling and promoting mm -hmm. and making sure that, uh, yeah, that the business runs and customers pay our bills, to say it in the brutal way. Um, so that 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 whole um, implementation should be really seamless. And unfortunately, that hasn't been the case for many years. Mm. Um, so as the solutions get better, because obviously um, um, companies, they also uh, implement that feedback, they get better, mm -hmm. this will improve. But I still think that, you know, there are plenty, plenty of tools, but only a few um, that are real game changer. And here again, timing. You need the tool when it's the right time, when you're at the stage where this will actually uh, help out. Not too early, but also not too late. All right, great. So I think we've kind of established some of the, the, these main points that, that I would need someone who, who is, is an operations person or wants to be an operations person that kind of needs to know. Now let's move on into the like how they, they kind of leverage these points to get a seat at the table, right? And so, um, I th clearly, clearly, the the conversation that these administrators need to have and they need to need to begin having is around the revenue. It's around the the money that that comes in, the inputs, the output. Um, it's about the end to end part of it. It's about the, the insights that they can deliver. Um, can you maybe talk a little bit about about what you would recommend for an ops person 
um, to to look at and then to to highlight for their management? Yes. Um, so one thing that comes to my mind right away is to try to get an overview of all the tools, all the tech stack that currently exists to create um, a centralized governance. Mm. Um, this is the, the main driver for efficiency. Um, I see it all the time, even in my current um, company, that whether for the legacy perp- uh, reasons or because of the integrations of other companies uh, during M&A or simply disjointed um, functioning in different departments, we still have tools that uh, run only for part of the company mm-hmm. um, and not for everyone. While it actually is a perfect uh, use case and we could have um, apply it for all. Of course, it takes a bit longer to get the buy-in from everyone. Um, the setup will be a bit longer. Um, but ultimately, if everyone starts picking the tools only from their own perspective, we are creating many overlapping um, um, points mm-hmm. uh, when you're pretty much just uh, double counting, data gets messy, might not always be seen from the same perspective. So then you waste time with interpretation because different tools show different things. Mm-hmm. Not to mention then we have double or triple cost on the subscriptions yeah. of the individual. Uh, so I would say centralized governance is, uh, is really uh, something basic. Um, if you can start from that and you can convince um, the COO that... Uh, nothing gets approved <laughs> unless uh, the RevOps has re- have reviewed it, um, uh, that we can use that solution globally, not only for a, a siloed department, then it's great. If you have to put pieces together of the existing um, tech stack, it's, it's way more tricky and will take longer. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I definitely agree. I think it's, it's, it's something that a lot of uh, ops people kind of, um, forget, and I think that's actually one of the main things that you have to think about if you want to work in revenue ops. Is that you? You can't be like a silo administrator. You can't just sit there on your tool stack, just the ones that you have, and just work those things without considering um, what's happening in the other tools, especially on the revenue side, right? So if your tool, if you work in a commercial role and you administrate a tool that has something to do um, with, with the, the, the revenue, that the inputs or outputs of that the commercial org, you need to look at what's happening in the other tools and you need to unify that, that insight. Um, but I think why this becomes difficult is that you somehow have to like give a reason to different stakeholders as to why you are doing this. Uh, I feel like there's the head of data who's kind of like confused. Why are you like trying to look into the data warehouse for something like in the marketing side, even though you're maybe customer success? Or they have to talk to C-levels who don't really understand what the tech uh, is doing. Um, and and they, that's why they don't really know why they want to build more tech or why they want to unify things, you know? Um, do you have any tips for, for an administrator who's trying to kind of close that gap? Yeah, this is really also one of my uh, daily problems in the stakeholder uh, management. Um, That's the thing. The the more people you need to align with uh, and obtain their buy-in to also to make that successful, Mm -hmm. more complex it gets because everyone, you know, we are all um, experienced, intelligent individuals who are hired for a reason. We all have opinions. Mm. People tend different opinions usually. (laughs) 
Um, and everybody tends to look at things from their own perspective because we sometimes have uh, not, not always conflicting, but slightly different um, OKRs. So it's only natural um, that head of departments uh, are um, more protective um, of their um, of their purpose or their own uh, goals and they will challenge if we want to suddenly implement something that might not be perfectly aligned and then the more um, people you need to align of course uh, the longer it takes and that's why sometimes um, people say okay in this case I'm just going to do it on my own because it's faster and it's true but in the long term it will it will just go wrong because Again, as we scale up, uh, the, the infrastructure will just not hold it. Um, just to give you an example, um, uh, Sender acquired a few years back uh, a, a small company, Cars and Cargo, um, and you know they are fully manual. <laughs> they operate in a very old-fashioned way, but they are extremely efficient. Um, you know, it's a small team, very um, multitasking. Uh, they have a amazing synergy. They all sit um, in the same office, um, going there in person every day. So their efficiency is actually better than you know many uh, tech companies I've uh, I've seen. Mm-hmm. But that only works at that size, and their ambition was never really to scale up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. If you touch that structure, that very manual uh, structure, you're going to actually uh, break something because now suddenly integration becomes problematic because mm. everything is already strictly tight. There is no additional uh, capacity uh, for anything else. Um, but if your ambition is to really grow um, by 10 or 20 times, uh, you need that help of uh, uh, technology through automation so that you don't need to add more headcounts. Mm. Um, so so this is, again, this kind of balance where um, you can do things perfectly efficiently at the very small uh, scale. Um, when it comes to growth, uh, it becomes very tricky. But I mean, like, that's that, that's exactly the question, right, that, like, the, the, the C-level people ask themselves, right? Like, how do I grow this? How do I scale this? Um, but then again, I feel like, you know, it, it is, it, it's especially hard to kind of bring these this whole this whole tool stuff in, in, to them. So, so in, in your experience, what, what do C-level, like, folk, what do they think about these kind of tools? You know, they don't want, they don't want to hear about it. Right? They want to hear about the revenue behind it. But how do you how do you bring this to them? People like to think that they make decisions based on data, r- rational factors, data, um, and um, let's say ROI, so something very uh, factual. And that's true. Decisions are based on that um, factual baseline, but they are made on emotions, which means that if you pitch someone um, a very solid case uh, with a great ROI, Ideally, it doesn't even need to go to the details. Most of decision makers don't even read them. They want to jump to the conclusion of um, what is indeed this going to bring um, in result, how long it will take, what are the pros and cons, uh, eventual risks. But here again, I'm sorry to be sounding like a broken record. (laughs) It's the timing because you need to bring it to them when it's the right moment. Mm. Now, the right moment could be indeed a very good day <laughs> when they are open to uh, to this kind of suggestion. But it can also be a very crappy day 
where a particular pain point has become so painful that this is the opening when you say, ah, I actually might have a solution for that. Mm. Hear me out. So I would say that it's, again, a combination of, sure, you need to have your, uh, your facts uh, straight. The, 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 the business case, the pitch needs to be uh, solid, has all the numbers, um, so they see what they want to see and that they are reassured that they are making decisions based on those facts, but they will make it like we all do on a specific emotion. Mm. Makes me think about how I'm going to take some of this tool stuff to my, uh, to my lead sometime soon. <laughs> When you think about it, it works with everything in life. Uh, when you want something from someone, uh, you need to find the right moment when they are more sensitive to it. And this is how we buy products, even in a supermarket, right? We, yeah. we, we buy it on a specific emotion. When you're not hungry, you're not going to be tempted to go into the chocolate department. Ooh, actually, I, see, I, would, I got discouraged <laughs> in that one. Chocolate for me is, uh, yeah, that one, I don't need to be hungry to buy chocolate. <laughs> You're going to be less tempted. Now, you're right. probably going to purchase more of the uh, the bad things uh, if you're particularly hungry or uh, in a deficit. Uh -huh. um, but, but it is, you know, this is how the whole marketing works. We do purchase, we make decisions on emotion. We just like to think that they are purely rational because we use facts to convince people. Um, but the, the, the go becomes um, goes live when the right emotion is in there hmm. okay so we're starting to hit time Lisa. Uh, any last tips that you have for someone for an operator who wants to have a seat at the table um, yeah what else would you tell them so besides what I've been saying all this time <laughs> the timing is everything besides that yeah <laughs> uh, I, I would say and again you have to take it with a, a grain of salt Uh, because it has to be a calculated risk. Otherwise, it's very easy to get fired as well. <laughs> but, okay. But I always said, don't ask for permission. Uh, you can ask for forgiveness later if it goes wrong. Oh, uh, so, that. of course, it shouldn't be applied for absolutely everything and mm. for some very highly strategic things. Uh, you should at least have a... Uh, someone in your corner, your manager should be aware. So you need to have a partner in crime who will support you when the things go south. Um, but daring things, trying out, um, it will get you uh, a long way. Because worst case, they won't be accepted. It won't work, but you will learn. And when you do it a lot, you gain experience. And if you don't give up, sooner or later, you will maybe not get Uh, where you exactly want, but you will get very far. In the French, we have the saying that if you target the moon and you miss, worst case, you'll end in the stars. Wow. <laughs> okay, awesome. Alicia, thanks so much uh, for coming on the podcast. It was so great talking to you. I'm really glad that we did this. Um, uh, wait, if some, if some, so some listen to this and they, they want to follow up with you, what would be the best way to kind of reach you? Um, I think the most uh, practical uh, is LinkedIn. Um, I'm checking LinkedIn on a regular basis. So feel free to find me and uh, yeah, happy to have a more in-depth discussion. And this was also my pleasure. <laughs> All right, great. Well, uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, this was the Project A podcast and uh, you'll hear from us very soon again. Uh, goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating. Thanks, guys. <laughs>